break 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 You're listening to Breakthrough News, and this is The Punch-Out. We're following the news all day so you don't have to, giving you everything you need to know about what's in the headlines and what should be. And yes, we are back here on The Punch-Out, 24th of August, 2021. Very happy to be back with you here on the show. Plenty for you here on the show, as we always do. We're going to be talking about the floods in Tennessee and some of how that relates to both the infrastructure bill and climate change. We're going to be talking about how oil oligarchs in Nigeria are getting a little bit of a boost from the government. But before we get to either of those two very important stories, we're going to be talking about how the Border Patrol is making it much more likely that migrants will die crossing the southern border. Well, in the latest installment of a multi-part report into deaths at the border, human rights NGOs No More Deaths and the Coalition for Human Rights have detailed how the Border Patrol often fails to respond to requests to find migrants in need of search and rescue and also blocks family and humanitarian attempts to fill the gaps they've created, making the likelihood of death far greater than it need be for those crossing the deserts into the United States. The report details that, In, quote, 63% of all distress calls, families and advocates referred to the Border Patrol. The agency did not conduct any confirmed searches or rescue mobilization whatsoever. And that in 37% of cases in which the Border Patrol did mobilize search or rescue measures, the quality and scope of the agency's effort were seriously diminished when compared with the government search and rescue standards for cases involving U.S. citizens. 63% of all distress calls. The agency did not conduct any confirmed search or rescue mobilization. And in fact, the report notes some of these so-called rescue attempts that did happen lasted less than an hour. And just to add insult to injury, the report details, quote, in 40 percent of these emergency cases, Border Patrol directly stated to families and or humanitarian responders that the agency would not conduct any search or rescue response for a known distressed person. And ultimately, the report notes that, quote, 27 percent of all confirmed Border Patrol searches ended in disappearance, meaning that the missing person was never rescued, nor were their remains located, recovered or identified. And the report also notes that, quote, there is a near 100 percent success rate of county led search and rescues in the same or similar remote borderland corridors and a clear indication of the systematic and deadly discrimination that is being visited on migrants. So even though they have a 100% success rate of all the normal, and by normal, I mean those involving quote unquote citizens, search and rescue operations, in 63% of the cases of migrants crossing the border, they're conducting no search and rescue. And even further, the report lays out how, quote, Border Patrol agents obstructed family and humanitarian search efforts in at least 115 emergencies or in 25% of the cases fielded by community advocates. Border Patrol interference with community responders include numerous cases in which Border Patrol agents refuse to provide critical locational information necessary for an emergency search. 
denied access to eyewitnesses and detention, forwarded advocates and families to other agencies or non-working phone numbers and or full voicemail boxes. Wow. Non-working phone numbers and or full voicemail boxes. Mm. And went on to say that they also provided false and misleading information to families and volunteers, harassed humanitarian search teams in the field and more. And this is all part of an elaborate system that is, in fact, designed to make the border crossings more deadly. It actually began under the Clinton administration in 1994, was called the and still is called the Prevention Through Deterrence Strategy. The goal is to try to force people into the most dangerous routes through the desert to make it more likely they die and to interfere with operations to make the journey more humane. And as no more deaths has documented, this prevention through deterrence strategy involves the use of chases with Border Patrol vehicles designed to push people into more and more dangerous situations. And it's important to note here that part of this prevention through deterrence is they made the easiest places to cross the places where they have the most people. So that way you're going to be already driven into a relatively more dangerous situation. Then they're using these vehicle chases to push people into even more dangerous areas. A few years back, no more deaths interviewed 58 migrants, 47 of whom reported that they were chased into dangerous areas. And as it concerns obstructing relief efforts, no more death details that, quote, data collected by no more deaths from 2012 to 2015 found that at least 3,586 gallon jugs of water were destroyed in an approximately 800 square mile desert corridor near Arivaca, Arizona. And just to add on to this, the Border Patrol is also known to raid humanitarian encampments with helicopters, armored vehicles and SWAT teams to terrorize those offering humanitarian care to those who emerge from the dangerous desert pass. So there you have it. Through Democratic and Republican administrations alike, since 1994, official U.S. border policy has been to make sure as many migrants die as possible. Nigeria is a very wealthy country in terms of resources, but most of that wealth is siphoned off by local and international elites. 40% of the country lives in poverty. Last week, Nigeria's government went ahead and deepened that trend by passing a new oil law that makes profit-making for big monopolies even easier. Oil, as many of you undoubtedly know, is Nigeria's main commodity. It brings in 60% of the country's revenue and 90% of its foreign exchange earnings. The law passed last week, which is known as the Petroleum Industry Bill of 2021, or PIB, replaces a range of other oil laws and sets some new ground rules. As the news agency People's Dispatch details, among other things, quote, the PIB reduces the royalties they must pay to the state from 7.5% to 5% in case of new extraction from deep water oil fields. While higher royalties were previously applicable to companies producing 15,000 barrels per day or more, the threshold has now been raised to 50,000 barrels per day. And they go on to note, People's Dispatch, that is, that, quote, setting the ground for privatization of the state-owned Nigerian National Petroleum Corporation, NNPC, PIB will incorporate a commercial and profit focus NNPC Limited within six months from commencement of the new law. The ownership will initially be vested in the Ministry of Finance, also the Ministry of Petroleum, and on behalf of a federation that will take over assets, interest, and liabilities of the NNPC. And that structure, of course, is expected to pave the way eventually for sale of shares to Nigerians. So basically what they're doing is they're creating a separate state-owned oil company that will start to manage the assets of the existing oil company, also you know, do many things, probably eliminate union contracts and the like, and then they will sell off this new separate company after it's been streamlined in a way that will make it attractive to big corporations and investors around the world. And 
I should add that they're saying that ultimately this sale will be to other Nigerians, but they almost certainly mean joint ventures where Nigerians are working as cutouts for oil majors, which is a pretty fairly frequent workaround in many different countries that allow a sort of nationalist sheen for neo-colonial activities. It's like, oh, yes, we're just selling it to people in the country. It's nationalistic. We're developing our own companies. But really, it's like they own some nominal percentage and it's really actually ExxonMobil or somebody. And further, 30% of the profits of this new NNPC company, this new sort of almost private company, will be diverted to the Frontier Oil Exploration Fund, which has been created by the PIB as well. And that really just looks like a slush fund for various government officials involved and has actually been denounced by groups in the oil center of the Niger Delta, who had demanded 10% of all oil revenues in any new law. And it's a deeply, deeply impoverished region, so they're desperate for those revenues. But the new law provided only 3% of all oil revenues. And again, a lot of that is siphoned off vis-a-vis corruption. The Dan Group, which is owned by Africa's wealthiest billionaire, Akilo Dangote, is also poised to benefit. The law states that only those companies that have refining licenses to import volumes that correspond to their refining capacity will be allowed to you know, continue doing their work here. And there's only 23 companies that can refine more than 12,000 barrels per day. Danagote, though, is building a new refinery with a 650,000 barrel per day capacity. Now, that essentially means they'll dominate the entire fuel trade by being allowed to import the vast majority of the fuel needs of the country. And being that big, they'll be able to drive almost everyone else out of business because they'll be able to capitalize on the scale to make it cheaper. So essentially, they're handing over the processed fuel industry in the country over to one billionaire. The Nigerian Trade Union Congress said about the bill, quote, it hinders the country's financial and economic progress because it transfers a huge chunk of public wealth to favored businessmen. Worth noting here that Nigeria is one of the West's favorite nations in Africa. Their policies of the government, I should say, producing great wealth for the global north while keeping 40 percent of their country in poverty is exactly the kind of regime the U.S. and its European allies love to have in the rest of the world, despite all the rhetoric about freedom and democracy. At least 21 people are dead after recent flash floods in Humphreys County, Tennessee, about an hour and a half from Nashville. Rescue crews are working feverishly to try to find those still missing after what seemed like a small storm system dumped a massive amount of rain on the area, creating a devastating scene. The 17 inches of rain dumped on the county centered on the city of Waverly. It's about 4,000 people in Waverly broke the record in Tennessee of rainfall in 24 hours by three inches. As the New York Times reported, quote, the physical devastation has been nearly impossible to comprehend. Entire neighborhoods were shredded. Some homes that were still intact were filled with mud and the rancid stench of water left behind. Chris Pasquale spoke with relief on Tuesday about the rescuers on a jet ski who had saved his mother and 90-year-old grandmother after their home on East Acres Avenue filled with water over the weekend. And he said, the fridge was floating up by my grandmother's head. She was holding onto a table leg all the while a roof rafter came rushing through the house. The devastating flood has brought into focus two important issues yet again, climate change and infrastructure. As the New York Times also detailed, quote, a warmer atmosphere holds more moisture, which can mean heavier rainfall. Tennessee saw immense amounts of rain over the weekend, including nine inches in three hours. But flooding is a result both of heavy rainfall and of the way water is managed through dams, levees, or retention ponds, as well as the landscape's hydrology, which refers to the way that water flows, collects, and runs off the land. 
And as global temperatures continue to rise, the director of the United Nations Environmental Program notes, quote, while it's difficult to make a direct link between an individual extreme event and climate change, it's clear that we need to be prepared to face more intense and more frequent extreme hydrometeorological events due to climate change. So a lot more of these big random storms that will cause massive floods. And of course, that again raises the issue of water management and the bipartisan infrastructure bill that everyone's talking about, I must say, has fallen short of what's necessary because the deal was made on the backs of not raising any taxes on the rich, heavily limiting its scope. The bill contains $50 billion for some of these issues. There are $50 billion in funds to protect against droughts, floods, and wildfires. This is according to the White House, in addition to a major investment in weatherization. So essentially, that's $50 billion spent between protecting against droughts, floods, wildfires, and weatherization. So not $50 billion for each individual piece. Just want to keep highlighting that because they're saying this is so great. According to the American Society for Civil Engineers, quote, $21 billion is needed to improve and maintain the moderate, high, and very high-risk levies in the federal government's levy portfolio. This estimate does not include any of the levies outside of the federal government portfolio, so the actual cost to improve and maintain levies is unknown and is likely much higher. And the civil engineers also noted that, quote, the most recent Association of State Dam Safety Officials Cost estimates indicate the combined total to rehabilitate the nation's non-federal dams exceeds $66 billion. To rehabilitate just those high-hazard potential dams would cost nearly $20 billion. Additional estimates show the need to rehabilitate federal dams is approximately $27.6 billion. So in other words, there will not be enough money in the infrastructure bill to fix the levees and dams that need fixing, much less start building out our water management systems to cope with the impact of more extreme weather from a rising climate. So that's the U.S. for you. Rather than fix the dams, the levees and the bridges, they're happy to let you die so that billionaires don't pay a cent more in taxes. That's the punch out for today. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 p.m. here in New York, East Coast Standard Time, 2 p.m. in Los Angeles, Pacific Standard Time, and 9 p.m. GMT. And of course, you can support everything we do here at Breakthrough News at patreon.com slash breakthroughnews. It's your patronage that keeps all of our offerings here at Breakthrough News moving forward. And of course, you can check us out across all your social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at BT Newsroom. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.